Good evening. It is such a joy to be here at Hoffmantown, and I just want to start with saying how grateful we are at ICM for the years of partnership. And I can tell you with all honesty that there are churches that stand all over the world today because of the partnership with the folks here at Hoffmantown. So thank you very, very much. But I loved it that the theme of this weekend was hope. And I think as has already been said, I mean, we know as followers of Jesus Christ that, that Christ is our only hope. We, we know that because that is, is what we have grown into knowing through our walk. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that all human beings need hope. Hope is the essence, so often, of, of the human experience. And you know, when you start looking a little bit at, at some of the things that have been said by people over the centuries about hope, and I found it interesting that even when you look back at 79 AD, they recorded a quote from a gentleman that lived then, and he would say, was Pliny the Elder, an Italian historian, is hope is the pillar that holds up the world. Fast forward, Martin Luther in 1546, he said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. But I found it particularly interesting when you look at what Dante wrote in his epic poem, Divine Comedy, when he was talking about Inferno, Dante's Inferno. And he said, abandon all hope, ye who enter. Hell is that place where there is no hope. You know, hope is so important for the human experience. Well, when I was working in nursing, that was my, my, my background, and I worked as an oncology clinical specialist and worked from doing chemotherapy all the way through hospice care. And I saw that professionally firsthand when you're looking at people expressing hope. And oftentimes when people would receive a cancer diagnosis, it was, you know, hoping that the surgery would get it all or, or hoping that it wouldn't have spread and, and having hope that existed like that. And then, unfortunately, there were times when the cancer did progress and it couldn't be stopped. But it continued to see this hope that might exist where, you know, I hope I might make it to my son's graduation or I hope I might make it to Christmas. But there was still this, this human need to have hope. Well, I know for myself, there began a tremendous transition from my professional understanding of hope in the cancer experience to my personal journey. When my ophthalmologist husband was diagnosed with a very rare aggressive, untreatable eye cancer and had to have his eye removed. At the age of 49, he got his diagnosis. He lived for five years. And that was a season for me of grief and darkness that I had never anticipated was going to be part of my life. And had it not been for hope, 
I don't know how I would have made it through that experience, the hope in Jesus Christ, that regardless of the things that come our way, he is sovereign and he is control, in control. But part of that journey I've written in a, in a book, actually, that just came out a few weeks ago, and there are copies of it that are out in the ICM table. I'm sorry, this is going too quickly. It's out at the ICM table, but it was interesting when I found out the theme was hope because you can see from the title of my book, it was God in the Crossroads, Signs of Hope. And the theme of the book has to do with whether it's a nation undergoing a crossroads of war or genocide or whether it's that turmoil and the crisis in our own lives where God longs to manifest himself and bring hope. But it was through that, that journey after my husband's death was right on the heels of sending my youngest son to college. And I began to seek, well, Lord, what do you have for this next season of my life? How do you want to be using me? And it was at that time that I distinctly felt his call to have me step into a leadership role of the ministry that my father had founded. He started the ministry when he was 65 years old. He's 94 now, still at the ministry every day. But ICM, that many of you all have heard of, has been used by God in extraordinary ways to come alongside indigenous ministries that already exist, but just uh, lack some of the resources that they need to build churches for existing congregations, and they lack the resources of Bible study materials in their own language. So as you look at this world map, the foundation of this is, yes, we believe that the Great Commission is a command, not a suggestion. And yes, we believe that in the Word of God, we understand that God's design for changing nations is healthy, growing, reproducing congregations grounded in God's word. That is what we believe is true, and that's why we come alongside our indigenous partners and help them build a place that is theirs, that can be a beacon of Christ in their, their own setting, their own village. Last week, we approved our 6,000th church. We work in 80 countries doing that. Those churches have been made possible because of people like you all that have come alongside ICM. And we understand at ICM that there isn't any other organization or entity known to man that can ultimately change the heart of man apart from Jesus Christ. No government, no humanitarian effort, no social policy, nothing can have lasting change apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that can be distributed through local churches. One of the things that's neat about this map, each one of those red dots, which look kind of blurry in this, this unfortunately, but there are 6,000 red dots on that map representing each church in the GPS location that we track. But what I love is that behind every single red dot is a story. And so those are the couple of stories I want to share with you tonight. I want to start with Vietnam, 
We've been working there since about 1995. And you can see, even in South Vietnam and North Vietnam, we're building churches all over that country. And given the time that we have been there, that nation is being transformed for Christ. I see him as one of the tools that God has been using to do that. But I wanted to share with you one particular story as we kind of keep drilling in, one story from Vietnam. And it has to do with this iconic photo. How many of you all remember seeing this? Look Magazine. That little girl's name is Kim Phuc. Kim lived in this village of Trang Bang. And one day they heard the planes coming overhead, the bombs were dropped, the napalm, burned off her clothes, burned off her skin, she was left to die. She was taken to the morgue thinking she had passed away. And she began years and years of painful restoration of her body just to keep her alive. She was filled with hate. She was used by the Viet Cong for propaganda. She was ready to kill herself when she went to a library one day and happened to find a Bible on the shelf. And in reading that, she heard the truth of Christ. And her life began to be lived out. What we know from Isaiah 61 in Scripture, that God is the God who brings beauty out of ashes. He was doing that in her life. He was doing that in her nation. But Kim... She ended up defecting to Canada. She was married, has two boys, has her own ministry there, and has a ministry that speaks about the forgiveness that she has for the man who dropped the bomb in her village. But she prayed for decades that her family would come to know Christ, and they have. And she prayed for decades that there might be a church built in her village of Trang Bang, ICM didn't know that. All I knew is that one day we were approving church applications and we approved one in the village in Vietnam, a village of Trang Bang. And it wasn't until after the church was built that we got a call from Kim Phuc thanking us that we had answered her prayers of years that there would be a church in her village of Trang Bang. I had the honor of visiting this church and worshiping there and meeting her brother and her sister on that same street within walking distance of the Buddhist temple where they had sought refuge. I walked on the street where the bomb had hit and saw her home. God is in the business of bringing hope where there is hopelessness. She was one story. Travel with me to South India. This is an area where ICM has been working for almost 30 years. Have had the opportunity to build and with our partners about 1,500 churches throughout India, distributing Bible material, Bible study material, and languages throughout India. But I want to share a story about four little girls that I met at one of the ICM churches that we visited one day. And it's these four little girls that are on the front row. And we had just finished 
hearing them sing and dance, a little bit like we heard the kids tonight. And the girls were dancing with smiles on their faces ear to ear. And after we'd had this experience of, of watching them, the pastor pulled these girls aside and, and through a translator said, let me share the story of these girls. In his village, which is not unusual for a lot of the countries where ICM works, girls are not valued. And there is such dire poverty that families cannot afford to raise these extra children. And the girls are dispensable. So they either sell them to sex trafficking in order to get some money for their family. In this particular village, if a baby girl was born, the family, the pa parents would go out, buy poison, come back to the hospital, and put it under the tongues of these baby girls. I have two granddaughters, five months and 20 months. It breaks my heart to think that there would be parents feeling like they have to resort to killing their baby girls in order to feed their other children. But the pastor of this ICM church orphanage goes into that hospital, offered to pay the parents $2 to bring their baby girls home and raise them at the church that was built by ICM. These girls are flourishing and that they know they are loved by the God of the universe and that they are beautiful. Lastly, I want to take you to Egypt. And you see here, we don't have as many dots in Egypt, partially because people don't live out in the area of Egypt away from the Nile, but also because we haven't been able to work there very long. Because as you may or may not know, for 100 years, it was against the law to do any repairs whatsoever to a church building unless the president of the country approved the repair. Nothing. You couldn't replace a bathroom door unless the president of the country said you could. Interesting strategy for trying to eliminate the church. But as you all know, in all the, the upheaval that occurred with elections, and I'll speak a little bit more about that, but in 2014, LCC, in order to gain some, some acceptance, allowed building to start. So what you're seeing on this map has been occurring that quickly. The door of opportunity is open right now. We do not know for how long, so we are building churches as fast as we possibly can. But Egypt is an interesting country. I mean, we have heard, I mean, you read about Egypt throughout Scripture, you know, of the pyramids and just all the, the ancient civilization that was there. And I was in Egypt last year, and it was interesting getting a tour in some of the, the historic areas. And they're so proud that the Holy Family chose to come to Egypt. But the interesting thing is they talk about it as if it happened yesterday. They have such an ancient civilization. But it was interesting as we were there, there was still fresh in their minds the activity that came about with, in 2012, Mohammed Morsi and then the Muslim Brotherhood in 2013 and all the massive demonstrations. And you maybe remember hearing in the media 
about the Muslim Brotherhood burning churches in Egypt. And I was able to go visit one of those churches. This was a church of the Coptic Christians. And it was burned out, it along with many, many others. And I'll never forget going to a mound beside the church where they had taken all the Bibles and piled them up and burned them. And we were able to hear the testimony of the pastors. And here was the, the coming together of evangelical pastors, of Coptic Christian pastors, and moderate Muslims all united to stand against the activity of the radical Muslim Brotherhood in order to protect their country, but standing together in unity with an understanding that God's love must prevail. The message to me was so powerful of standing together to bring hope and to bring forgiveness. But I think the most incredible story that I heard in my time there was spoken to me by a woman who's one of our partners, works with a major, major church in Cairo that oversees all the buildings that are being built in the other part of Egypt. And she told the story that was the the back-end story that you won't hear much about in the media. But you remember possibly seeing this picture of the men from Egypt that were in Libya working and were martyred on the beach. But when we heard Hane tell the story of these men their families knew when they were kidnapped, their families knew what was going to happen. So their prayers became that their loved ones would not renounce Christ. That they would stand strong in the face of death. And so when Hane took their team from Cairo out to the villages to comfort these families, they were the ones most surprised because these family members were speaking with pride that their loved ones had stood firm for Christ. And they spoke about the forgiveness that they felt toward the executioners. Only Christ can bring that hope and that forgiveness into a situation like this, which defies our human understanding. This is the hope of Jesus Christ. This is God's hope throughout the world. Thank you all for being part of that. To God be the glory.